Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm on the team at Christ City, and it's my joy to open up God's Word with you this morning. So our family has had lots of unforgettable Canadian experiences since we arrived in Canada. Cherry blossoms in spring, berry picking in the summer, Whistler in the snow. Earlier this year, I had, an unforget- I had another unforgettable Canadian experience, filing taxes for the first time. <laughs> now, what made this experience extra unforgettable was the several phone calls I had to make to the CRA. Now, if you've not had the pleasure, and I've had the pleasure, let me tell you how it happens. Sometimes, you get a callback option, which is fantastic. Technology nowadays, they will, you can put down the phone and they will call you back when it's your turn. Other times, there is no such option. You just have to stay on the line. Sometimes you get the person in 10 minutes. Other times, you have to wait for two hours to speak to someone who then tells you you've got the wrong person, transfers you to another line, you wait another one hour, the call gets dropped and you have to wait all over again. Like I said, unforgettable. And I don't know about you, but I'm actually okay with waiting. As long as I know it's going to be worth the wait. It's the uncertainty that I really struggle with how long do I have to wait? Will I get what I'm waiting for? Will the wait be worth it? You know, when we talk about waiting, in some ways, we're all waiting, aren't we? We're waiting for the cherry blossoms to bloom. We're waiting for the snow to fall. We're waiting to see loved ones again. We're waiting for the end of the Greek alphabet. We're waiting for things to finally get better, aren't we? We're currently in the season of Advent, which is a season of waiting. We're waiting for Christmas to come, and while we're doing that, we're remembering about how people all those years ago were waiting for Christ to come the first time. And and we are remembering how we are all waiting right now for Christ to come again. Last week, Brett asked the question, what are we waiting for? Today, we ask the question, how should we wait? See, it's one thing to know that we're waiting for the return of Jesus. It's another thing entirely to to know how should we wait for the return of Jesus. And so that's our topic for today. How should we wait for the return of Jesus? We're going to look at two things this morning. We wait with certainty and we wait with thanks and speaking. We wait with certainty, and we wait with thanks and speaking. So to our first point, we wait with certainty. 
Big picture, we're in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is one of the four accounts in the Bible about Jesus' life. Our account, the, the, the account we're reading, the Gospel of Luke, was written by a doctor named, named Luke. Let's quickly recap the section we're in so far. Jesus was born, and some weeks after Jesus was born, as per the religious laws, Jesus is presented at the temple. And while he's at the temple, Luke gives us the accounts of two people who meet Jesus while Jesus is at the temple. The first person is Simeon. We see this in verses 22 to 35. As Brett preached about this last week, Simeon talks about who Jesus is because Jesus wasn't just a baby, was he? Look at what Simeon says in verse 29 after he sees Jesus. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. See, Jesus wasn't just a baby. He was the promised one sent by God to save the world, the one who gives us peace with God, the one who brings salvation to all the peoples. So the thing is, and you already may be asking this question, we already know these things about Jesus from Simeon. Why then do we need Anna? At first glance, this account of Anna seems a bit unnecessary, doesn't it? With lots of these obscure and unnecessary details. But the thing is, the details are necessary because the author Luke is being very intentional here. You see, right at the very beginning of the book in 1 verse 4, Luke tells the reader that one of his main reasons for writing is this, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You see, Luke doesn't want us just to hear about who Jesus is. He wants us to have certainty about who Jesus is. It's why Luke, that's why Luke gives us not one, but two witnesses. Two witnesses who met and testified about who Jesus was, Simeon and Anna. You see, Luke gives us two witnesses because Old Testament law, we see this in Deuteronomy 19.15, says that one witness is not enough. For testimony to be credible, we need two witnesses. But, but that's not all. Anna is not just a second witness. She's the best kind of witness that you could possibly ask for. So for example, today, an example of a credible witness would be something like upstanding member of the community, doctor by day, volunteer by night, does not sleep at all because they just want to help people, no criminal record, well-known and loved by everyone, you know, that kind of thing. And that's actually exactly what Luke is doing with Anna in verses 36 to 38. You see, to us, it seems like just a bunch of unnecessary details. But to the original readers, the readers that Luke was writing to in their world, all these details just screamed credible witness, witness you can trust. Let's look at some of the details. Anna was a prophetess in a category of highly esteemed women from the Old Testament, such as Miriam and Deborah and Huldah. She was advanced in years. See, the world of the New Testament was very different from today. Today, we often value youth over old age. The world of the New Testament 
was one where old age was respected and honoured, associated with wisdom and piety. Anna, and Anna wasn't just advanced in years, she was extremely devout and pious. She was a widow who wholly devoted herself to worship as she did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And we actually see similar details uh, like this about Simeon. Because Luke po Luke's point about both Simeon and Anna was that they were extremely credible witnesses. Witnesses we can trust. Witnesses whose testimony we can have certainty about. Because that's Luke's point, isn't it? Luke's point is that we can have certainty. We can have certainty that there was a baby boy born named Jesus. But more than that, we can have certainty about who this baby was. This baby Jesus was the promised one, the Son of God, the one sent by God to save the world, the one who gives us peace with God and brings salvation to the whole world. Christ City, we can have certainty that Jesus came. And we can have certainty that He will come again because He promised He will come again. We see this throughout, we see these promises throughout Scripture, such as John 14, verse 3. He promised, Jesus promises He will come again. He will come back to restore all things and make everything exactly as it should be. Isn't that a glorious promise? Last week, I, I was having a conversation with someone that I met for, for the first time. And I'll be honest, he said something slightly racially insensitive. And I know that he, it was, honestly, it was a minor comment, and I know he didn't mean to hurt. It still stung, you know? I wanted just to let it go, but it, was, it, it hurt. And so that night, as I was just wrestling through it with with God, and I was thinking, what, what does it mean to live in community? And I was thinking about my family and my boys. I came to a realization that there's a limit to what I can do. I can learn to respond well. I can learn to educate. I can learn to advocate. But there's a limit to what I can do because there's still sin in this world. And while there's sin in this world, we will all feel the effects of sin in this world. You see, we all feel the effects of sin until sin is no more. And so as, as I was wrestling with God and I, I was thinking about this passage, there, there came a point where all I could say was, come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, because things are not as they should be. And so come, Lord Jesus, and make things as they should be. Come and get rid of all sin and sickness. And, you know, this thing I share, it's honestly a a very small thing compared to what I know many of you have gone through or even are going through right now. 
reminders that the world is not as it should be. The pain of sin, sin in our hearts, but sin in the hearts of others. The frustration of living in a fallen world with sickness and mutations. The heartbreak of sickness and the helplessness we feel when sickness takes someone away. See, God says we're right to mourn because mourning is an acknowledgement, it's a natural response to seeing the world as it should be and realizing we're not quite there yet. Christ City, every time we're reminded of, of the power of sin and the sting of death, we mourn, but we can also take comfort. We can whisper, we can say, we can cry out, Come, Lord Jesus! Come, Lord Jesus, and get rid of sin once and for all and make things as they should be. We cry this with, with certainty, finding comfort in the certainty that Jesus has come and we wait with utter certainty that He will come again. See, certainty that Jesus has come and will come again means comfort. But it also means commitment, doesn't it? The thing is, we, we often want one without the other, don't we? We want the comfort of Jesus' coming without the commitment of following Jesus. But the truth is, we can't have one without the other. You see, only Jesus' followers, those committed to following Him, will take comfort in His coming because only the innocent will take comfort in judgment. Living as a follower of Christ means total commitment to whatever He calls us to do, wherever He calls us to go. This past week, I was talking to a good friend who's a phenomenally gifted guy who was telling me about a time that who was telling me a, a, a career decision that he had made that was, frankly speaking, not good for his career. And it wasn't good for his comfort either. But then he was telling me that how he came to this decision is that he, he prayed about it and he just thought through what would make the biggest impact to God's kingdom. And then he followed God's call. It's sort of the same thing with, with Dan and Alison Unger, isn't it? <laughs> Why else would they uproot their young family and move to Tanzania in the middle of a pandemic just to pursue God's call? Because total commitment to God means total commitment to whatever He calls us to do and wherever He calls us to go. Now, I'm not saying that everyone has to move to Tanzania because, frankly speaking, there'll be overcrowding in Tanzania and not enough people in Vancouver. But the point is that Jesus has come 
and He will come again. And certainty about these two truths must change the way we live our lives in between these two certain points. And so perhaps one question we, we need to ask ourselves this morning is this, what areas of my life have I not fully committed to God? That might be even going in a different direction from God's. The goals I'm working towards, the things that matter to me, the problems that burden me, the arguments I get into, what do each of these things say about what or who I'm waiting for? See, waiting with certainty that Christ has come and will come again means waiting with total commitment to whatever God calls us to do, wherever God calls us to go. It's all or nothing. We're either in or we're out. We're either Christ followers or we're not. But the thing is, commitment is something we really struggle with, isn't it? Because commitment means giving up something we like to keep for ourselves, which is control. It means giving authority over from ourselves to God. And, and that's really difficult, isn't it? I'm a Christian. I call myself a Christian, but don't tell me how to live my life. Making it on Sunday mornings is difficult enough, you know? Do you know how busy I am? I'm a Christian, but don't talk to me about my job. I've worked too hard to get there. I'm a Christian, but don't tell me about who I should date. Do you know how hard it is to find someone? Christ, you see, Jesus has come, and He will come again. Jesus gave His life so that He could save our whole life. And so, commitment to Him means committing our whole life to Him, every area of life. So again, we need to ask the question, what area of our lives this morning are we struggling to commit, to give control over to God? Certainty means comfort, and certainty means commitment. We can't have one without the other. But often we struggle to, to take comfort or to give commitment because the thing we're struggling with really is certainty, isn't it? We, we don't think we can even have certainty that Jesus will come again. If this is where you're at, feel free to reach out to me or to any of our team. We'd love to have a conversation with you. For this morning, we don't have time to get too much into the details, but I just want to suggest a couple of things to start the conversation. The first thing is this, don't, don't be afraid to ask questions. Brett preached a fantastic sermon about this a few weeks ago. There aren't always straightforward answers to our questions, but know that God is the God of truth and He isn't afraid of questions. And so we should never be afraid to bring our questions to Him. What, what we need to know is that the Christian faith stands up to far more questioning and scrutiny that we, that we dare believe. So bring our questions to God. But the second thing is this, even as we ask questions and wrestle with our doubts, we must avoid the mistake of trying to live a life of all reason and no faith. The mistake of thinking that, that you know, we can't be a Christian unless we're 100% sure that we fully know and understand everything out there there is to know and understand. 
Now, I'm not saying that reason is not important. I'm not saying that we shouldn't investigate the claims of Jesus. In fact, that's, that's why Luke wrote this whole book in the first place. But the point is that no one lives this way of all reason and no faith. There's an element of faith in everything we do and believe. Hebrews 11 helpfully describes faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And yes, there is an element of faith in becoming a Christian because there are things we do not know or completely understand. But the point is that there's an element of faith in choosing not to be a Christian too. Because there are still things that we won't know and that we won't fully understand. You see, there is no neutral position you can take while deciding. You're either in or you're out. You're either a Christian or you're not. And both positions require faith. Both positions require faith. And so we must be consistent in the way we look at the evidence, both for and against Christianity. See, Tim Keller, who's a writer, puts it this way, it's important to doubt our doubts. See, the same intensity with which we question truth claims, we need to apply to our questions and doubts too. And I put it to you this morning that the evidence to put our faith in God is compelling. The evidence that Jesus was born, that He died, that He rose from the dead and He is coming in, the evidence for these is actually far more compelling than the evidence against. It's revealed in history and testified in the Bible by credible witnesses. But the evidence is, is more than that. There's a part of Christianity, of being a Christian, that, that you, can't, you won't quite understand from the outside. It's like how the only way you can truly know that a bridge can take your weight is by stepping onto the bridge. And as someone who's on the bridge, let me share with you that, that God has taken my weight. And He says that He can take your weight too. God is a faithful God who has shown Himself to be faithful over and over and over again throughout history. A faithfulness affirmed by countless Christians, many of whom are in the room right now. Affirmed by the testimony of Christians and authenticated by God's Holy Spirit that He sends. But there are some of us here who struggle with a different kind of uncertainty, we know, or at least we suspect, that there's judgment coming, that Jesus is coming again. But what we struggle with is we're not certain if we're saved. We're not sure, perhaps even afraid of what will happen to us when judgment comes. Have I lived well enough? Do I deserve to be saved? The truth is no one deserves to be saved. No one deserves to be saved, which is precisely why Jesus came in the first place. Look, look at me at verse 38. Luke uses the word redemption. He uses the word redemption to describe what Jesus came to do. See, Jesus came to live the perfect life, 
And He died on the cross to redeem us, freeing us from the power and oppression of sin and death. And He will come again to work out the full effects of His redemption. See, no one deserves to be saved. But Jesus came to save all of us and everyone is invited. So much of, of this chapter of Luke we're in, chapter 2, including the detail of Anna being a daughter of Phanuel and, 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 a, and a, from the tribe of Asher, are actually very intentionally crafted by Luke to echo prophecies from the Old Testament. Prophecies that, that talk about how God's salvation will be for everyone across the world, across all of time. You see, Luke is also using the detail to tell us that you can have certainty, everyone's invited. Because Jesus came, everyone's invited. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. No one deserves to be saved. Everyone is saved by faith alone, trusting in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to redeem us. You see, today we spend so much time talking about how to wait well for Jesus. But it's important to know that the certainty of our salvation does not come from how well we wait, but the faithfulness of the one we're waiting for. <laughs> it's so important to know this. Certainty of our salvation comes not from how well we wait, but from the faithfulness of the one we're waiting for. It's because God is faithful and He's faithful to His promises that we can be secure in our redemption and we can wait with complete certainty. You see, the key to waiting with certainty is not to look in at ourselves, but to look out. To look out at the one we're waiting for and to take confidence in His faithfulness. It's only by looking at God, having our spiritual eyes opened by Him, that when we see Him for who He really is, and we see ourselves for who we really are, that we are able to wait with certainty. And as we behold God's goodness and faithfulness, it doesn't just make us certain, it makes us thankful. Which is our second point for this morning, which I promise you is a short point. We wait with thanks and speaking. Look at me again at verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Do we see Anna's response? She responded to Jesus with thanksgiving and then speaking of Jesus to everyone. Just two quick points to note. Firstly, thanksgiving is a response. You can't manufacture true thanksgiving. You can pretend it. You can be very good at pretending it. You can win prizes for how well you can pretend it. But you can't pretend genuine thanksgiving and praise. You just can't force yourself to be genuinely thankful. See, the only way to be truly thankful is to have someone or something you are truly thankful for. It's why the Bible has verses like, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, anyone who's tasted of God's goodness will want nothing more than to thank and praise Him for how good He is. And some of us will see the pattern here already, don't we? The key to waiting with thanksgiving 
is the same as the key to waiting with certainty. See, the key isn't to looking at ourselves and try to force ourselves to be certain or try to manufacture thanksgiving. No, the key is to look at Christ, to behold Him and taste of His goodness, to savour His faithfulness because only God is truly worthy of our thanksgiving and praise. So true thanksgiving is a response. But secondly, true thanksgiving will lead us to wanting to tell others. That's what Anna did, didn't she? After she saw Jesus, she began to give thanks and then speak of Him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, when we're truly thankful about something, we don't need other people to encourage us, to exhort us to tell other people. We will do it naturally, in fact, we, people might need to tell us to stop <laughs> because it, we can't help but tell others because we want everyone to share in our happiness. It, it's why you invite people to weddings. It's why your social media feed is full of baby pictures. And I intentionally worded this point in a very clunky way, waiting with thanks and speaking. <laughs> because speaking is what's expected of us. You know, sometimes when we, when we say we're not qualified or prepared enough to share about Jesus with others, we're actually setting expectations of ourselves that are not from God. Because we don't need to be Bible scholars or to have read a million books in order to speak about Jesus. We just need to do what Anna did which is to speak of Jesus, who Jesus is, and what He's done for you. And we speak of Him to all who are waiting for redemption, and that's everyone, isn't it? Christ City, everyone is waiting for redemption. It's just whether they realize it or not. See, Christ has redeemed us. That's the good news we share that He has come and He will come again. And if we're honest, we don't know how long the wait will be. But we know that the wait will be over one day. Jesus promises He will come again and that the wait will be worth it. And so we wait for Him. We wait for Him with certainty. We wait for Him with thanksgiving and speaking of Him to everyone so that they can share in our happiness.